Welcome to another UCTV.TV podcast presented by University of California Television. I would like to welcome all of you back for our next session called Basic Needs. And on the panel, we are going to have Margarita Barney Almeida, founder and executive president of Grupo Sec, and Victor Lorgoreta is a partner at Lorgoreta and Lorgoreta, an internationally renowned firm. And we have Francesco Piasesi, who is the founder and director of Echale a Tu Casa, a firm that provides sustainable community development through social housing production. So each of them is going to give a presentation first that will last about 15 minutes, and then we will open it up for question and answer from you who are here joining us, and also we'll be taking some e-questions via the internet. So let's go ahead and start with Margarita Barney Almeida. Well, first of all, thank you. Thank you very much for this invitation. Thank you to everyone and, and each of you that make this uh, Mexico Moving Forward event possible. I feel greatly honored, really, to be here. And uh, it is a great opportunity for all of us to share our views on social entrepreneurship and sustainability. The story I'm, I'm going to tell you, it's a 25-year-old story. And it's really a story of a dream. Uh, we wanted a Mexico that was free of poverty and a Mexico free of environmental degradation. And I guess we were romantic people. You can tell it's a 25-year-old story because this is me right here. <laughs> and this is my friend Natalia Escudero, and it was she and I that had this dream and that wanted to accomplish this, this goal. And uh, we gathered a group and we asked ourselves, why is it that Mexico, being a mega diverse country, loses up to 500,000 hectares of forest land every year? And we asked ourselves, why are our rivers so contaminated? Why is desertification increasing? Why is land so eroded? Why more than half of the Mexican population are poor? Why are we so indifferent regarding contamination? Why do we treat our beautiful and ancient city of Mexico as if it were a huge trash can. Why are children born without hope? Why are we tolerating such injustice? And most of all, what can we do about it? So we knew there are multiple causes for these complicated issues that are happening everywhere in the world. But we also knew that there were solutions. So the group grew, and architects, environmentalists, social workers got involved. And we started by raising conscience, especially in rich urban areas, because the footprint 
the ecological footprint we all have is in strict relation with the money that we wrongly spend. And we invited local authorities and we invited groups like the Boy Scouts. And reforestation and cleaning actions were among the first we began. And uh, we made an invitation to the public and said, come with your family, bring a shovel, let's all reforest. And that was the starting point of our activities. We really wanted to be a group in action. And waste management could not be left aside. So we invited people to separate their recyclables and to bring them to uh, Centro de Acopio. It's, it's a collection waste uh, center. And uh, we asked them, bring your recyclables and we will work on that. And we stalled this waste collection center. In 1990, we became legally constituted as a non-profit and uh, with a different name because sustainable development, it's a term that hadn't been created by then. And we decided to approach the rural sector where most of extreme poverty is concentrated and where land is most eroded, where deforestation occurs, where low productivity and insecurity cause migration and land is abandoned and we lose our human capital. And shortly after, we decided to build our first rural development center and laid the foundation stone. The ecological building technology that we used then was rammed earth. Mexico has a great tradition in earth building that goes back to our pre-Hispanic ancestors. And this center had to really be a learning, a live learning model to inspire people and a model of environmentally savvy solutions for sustainable development. The center is self-sufficient in water and we harvest water. The center is self-sufficient in water harvested from the roofs. These are large cisterns, 2,000 uh, liters harvested here and over 150,000 there. And this is a water treatment system. So the, the sewage water and gray waters are treated the, therein and used for irrigation. The center is surrounded by several uh, poor uh, communities that benefit from the training and from the infrastructure that, that uh, we stole. And now we own two training centers, one in the state of Mexico and another one in the state of Oaxaca. This center demonstrates different rainwater harvesting uh, technologies as are key line dams, and maybe engineers are acquainted with key line dams. Uh, this is a key line dam, and it is interconnected with other two key line dams, and, and they harvest water uh, during the rainy season 
just what it fall, naturally falls from the mountains. And these are the dormitories in that center, and they were built with straw bale. The centers use solar energy to heat water, to dehydrate fruits. They use solar energy for cooking. They demonstrate organic agriculture and biointensive cultivation. They have beautiful libraries and classrooms displaying different building technologies, natural building technologies, where our reading and environmental education programs for children and adolescents take place because we are promoting a care of the earth and productivity culture based on permaculture principles. And we also hold sustainable development uh, projects in different parts of the country. We train individuals in the use and construction of self-made appropriate technologies. And you, you are seeing Taromara Indians in the Chihuahua mountain region. They are very poor now. There is an enormous drought in that area in the country and they, have, they are hungry. And with them, using their hand labor and training them, we built uh, this house. It's, it's just an example. We built this rammed earth house in the state of Mexico. This one with straw bales. And we've been from one side to the other of the country. This is Veracruz. And this uh, is a bamboo hostel built for migrants. Veracruz has an enormous bamboo, sustainable bamboo plantation. And bamboo is an excellent material for building, for handicrafts, even for food. Now, once it is painted, and we use prickly pear, a prickly pear mix, mixture to paint the hostel. And of course, uh, the women and the community participating in, in this type of building were all trained, and they all participated in the construction. Now we move to Baja California, that's on the other side of Veracruz. And there we built, this, with Ramder, this multiple uses room and a library to spread new knowledge. And again, the community was trained in the building and in water harvesting and in all of these uh, uh, technologies that we manage. And in alliance with the Monterrey Institute of Technology, in Mexico, we have trained and we have installed hybrid wind and solar generators to provide energy at Oaxaca's isolated communities. There are over 100,000 isolated communities in Mexico that lack electricity. But being water, the most pressing need in the country, we have put an emphasis on rainwater harvesting and have built different capacity systems, thousands of them benefiting extreme poverty, people in rural areas. Now, appropriate technologies are easy to learn, they're inexpensive, and the whole family can participate, and as you can see there. 
ditches are being made to hold and an infiltrate water and stop erosion. You can appreciate that's a very dry land in the dry tropics. And contour lines are also worked on the small farmer's land. And the purpose is to increase, to organically improve crop yield. Now, using the same participative methodology, we construct and install wood-saving stoves to protect women and children's health by eliminating smoke in the rural kitchen and also help reduce deforestation and global warming. We also promote the building of dry toilets using uh, resources in the area as Carrizo, uh, which is a type of bamboo, especially to save water, and most of all, to improve quality of life and reduce contamination. Row pumps are installed on wells and or cisterns to easily pump water, because this is a work that is generally done by women and by children, and it takes them two to three hours a day to get the water a couple of buckets of water to survive. So the row pump is something very simple, but very useful. Uh, with all of these technologies, we have been able to bring new knowledge and provide solutions. These people are learning to build a house with super adobes. Super adobes is uh, a technology. It's, it's earth uh, bags filled with sand, or with a mixture of stabilized earth, or with straw bale. In these 25 years, we have provided water for those that had to dedicate so much time to get it. We have provided food through self-produced organic vegetables, improving their nutrition. We have made participative diagnostics with the communities. You can see them there working. And we have made and promoted human development. Human rights and gender equity have been at the center of our project. We have given an impulse to productive activities with handicrafts. Those are Masawa Indian people. Or organic egg production that we are selling organic vegetables producing greenhouses, or the marketing of sun-dried fruits and herbs. And, of course, children could not be left aside. We, we are characterized for having a didactic obsession. And we believe that children are eager to learn. So our environmental education and reading programs include visits to their homes, and we include the parents. Or we read to them outdoors to make it more fun. They're up in a rock there in the state of Mexico. And school groups visit our training centers for an educational experience. They interact with small animals that we have at the centers or learn to make handicrafts from recyclable waste. We take environmental education to public schools, like this game to learn how to separate waste. 
And young people from rural areas also enjoy reading and enjoy environmental education, and they need it. They build and construct rainwater harvesting systems at their own homes. They are people from 14 years to 20 years of age that participate. Or they build a wood-saving stove, or plant an organic garden, or reforest an area and learn about the products obtained from a forest. And they enjoy reading. Stakeholder engagement and corporate volunteer work is one of the services we offer to environmentally and socially responsible corporations. They pay for that, and that helps us become self-sustainable. Employees help to build an earth, a round earth house, or a straw bale one, or any other eco-technology that a community might need. Young, active people from all of Mexico visit our centers as volunteers, and we call it volume tourism. And they work uh, at marginalized communities, and they become promoters of sustainability and social entrepreneurship. And today, many organizations repeat our model. We are right here at the center, and each one of those dots are other organizations that have been trained by us in Mexico and in Latin America. And of course, fundraisers are an essential part of our struggle towards our own sustainability. And some of our events take place at one of the most 16th, 18th, 19th century buildings that Mexico City displays. or at our Netzahualcoyoc Music Hall. And these events may, may vary from concerts to auctions and other things. And we have a lot of institutions to thank and a lot of individuals for the support that they have given us through these 25 years. And following our model, training ecological centers have been built in South America, in Peru, Bolivia, Argentina, Chile, Honduras, Dominican Republic, and all of them trained by Grupetzac. And this is the way that through 25 intensive years, we have given an impulse to sustainable growth, empowering men and women. And it has been like a running marathon, my daughters say. Mother, you really run a mar marathon every year. And I said, yes, and every time I get more strength and I'm more convinced that uh, uh, eco-technologies are a great solution for poverty and for environmental deterioration. We have given homes for indigenous people and water and food and energy. Thank you. Thank you, Margarita Barney, Almaida, founder and executive president of Grupo Next, we have Victor Legoreta. 
His firm creates architecture dedicated to building better cities. Recent works include projects in South Korea, Qatar, Greece, Egypt, and the United States and Mexico. Thank you. Well, uh, thank you very much. It's, uh, thank you for the invitation. Thanks to Manuel for inviting me here. I think it, uh, it's, it's always surprised me how much the U.S. and Mexico have in common. I mean, we share one of the largest borders. We, have, we, we Mexicans come for holidays in the U.S. You come to Mexico. We have all business together, and we know so little about each other. And, and we tend to make these stereotypes about each other. So these kind of symposiums are essential so that we really look for solutions between the two countries. Uh, I, I was a... Uh, well, as, as you know, we are an, an architect firm in Mexico City, and we have seen uh, different developments around the, around the world. And there have been a lot of mistakes. And, uh, for example, one of the main examples, have, in, in my personal opinion, has been Dubai, that they did these crazy projects trying to do the craziest building that you could imagine. And they did the tallest building in the world, and they did, then they were planning to do Dubai Land, which was Disneyland, but double the size. Then they were going to do a, a snow skiing in, in the middle of a shopping center in the middle of the desert and all these kind of crazy ideas. And unfortunately, these ideas, I, I think they don't last. I mean, you can become uh, very fashionable. You are in the top news for some years if you are lucky. But then you are out of fashion and then nobody cares about it. So I think in Mexico, we, we, ha we have experienced some of these in, in some of the tourist places also the, uh, maybe not as dramatic as Dubai, but in other places. So I think it's important that we look for projects. I'm, I'm, I'm of course, being an architect, I'm going to talk more about uh, real estate projects, but I think it's important that, that we look for projects that last and that, that really make us, as we were describing, a sustainable economy and a sustainable progress and a sustainable development. So trying to, to, to think on what, what are the elements or the ingredients that really make a, sustain, a project more sustainable. Uh, we were uh, wondering about three elements that I think it's very important that we take in consideration. One is the history and the culture of, of the place. We, we really need to, to pay attention to that in the architecture, in the nature of the project, to, to think about the history and the culture. The other one is the environment. I mean, we, we can no longer forget about the environment. I think we, are, uh, we, we have talked about this in the different talks, but I think it's very important. And then the economic development that, that involves all the social aspect. And I think if we really want to make sustainable the, the growth in Mexico, uh, we really need to look for projects that uh, look for these three elements and make a, a balance between the three. Because if we only make take a look at the economic point of view, then it's not going to be sustainable. Maybe it's going to be a good business, or maybe it's a good business for the developer. But then after a few years, uh, that building is not going to work or, or is not going to be sustainable. Uh, talking about culture, uh, about the first aspect, about trying to get the, the importance of culture, we put together some slides about show, showing some of, of the projects we have done, and, and then we compare them with some uh, traditional architecture in Mexico, pre-Columbian and colonial. And we didn't do did it in, in purpose when we, were, when we were designing this. This is the Televisa office complex in Mexico. And we were not thinking of, of Uxmal. But, but then when we look at the, at the picture, we saw, well, 
there's a relation in that. And, 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 and it's Mexican. Or we did a library in Monterrey, and then you see the pyramid in Chichen Itza, and you see that, that, that you do it unconscious. But I think it's important that, that we look for an architecture that belongs to the place, that belongs to, to our culture, to, so, so, so that it really has some, some depth and, and some sustainability. We did, for example, the library in San Antonio, and then you, again, you, there's something there that, that, that the architecture belongs to a place and belongs to a culture. Uh, there was a, a hotel in, in the Pacific Coast in Ixtapa, and, and you see how it's, a, it's almost like a modern pyramid. And, and there's no reason that you cannot go contemporary, that you cannot do uh, new things, but at the same time taking in consideration all this tradition and this culture that, that we have a, goal, a wonderful culture in Mexico, especially in architecture and, and in visual arts, but I think we, we need to take advantage of that. Uh, or a house we did, we did in, in Valle de Bravo next to Mexico City, and how you see that we almost copied it out of a Mexican hacienda in here, or the, the cathedral that we did in Managua, and then you see the relation with the Cholula uh, Cathedral in Puebla. So, so that I think it's, uh, it's very important that, that we learn from, from history. It's like, like denying your fathers uh, or your parents it's impossible to, to, to grow if you deny your parents. And it's the same thing in the, in the culture. I think we need to learn about our culture and then move forward. Uh, again, in another office building, the use of porticos that you see a very uh, close relation. And even in projects that we have done outside the United States, we did this laboratory building in Emerville in, 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 San Fran in front of San Francisco. And, and you see that it's almost like a, a modern monastery that, that, that you find in the beautiful courtyards in, in, in traditional Mexico. Or the use of color. I mean, they always tell us in the US that we are irresponsible with the use of color in Mexico. And, <laughs> and I, think they, I think they are right, but you see the village in Veracruz and then the, the project that we did. Uh, we have had the opportunity also to work in, in some projects abroad in the Middle East. Uh, this was the American University in Cairo, and, and, I, and also there I think the, the challenge was what to do as an architect abroad and how to be respectful to the local culture. So we began to, re, to do some research of, of the culture, uh, of the Islamic culture, which in fact has a lot of similarities with the, with the Mexican architecture. I mean, we were influenced a lot with the, the Islamic, went through Spain and then to Mexico, so the use of water and the use of courtyards is very common also to, to our language. So it was this idea of to make a university that, that belonged to the Islamic culture and tradition. Then they asked us to do some universities in, in Qatar, in Doha. And we wanted to, I wanted to show you this because I think it's, it's interesting that uh, Qatar is investing more in the long term. And they are trying to, to invest, of, of course, in education. They know that the oil and the natural gas is not going to last forever. So they are bringing all these American universities and, and, and Western universities to open a branch in, in, in Qatar. But at the same time, they don't want just to, to import that. So, so they ask us to do buildings that also resemble the, the culture and, and try to, to, to build something that belongs to the place. Uh, the, the previous one was Texas A&M for engineering. Then we worked with Carnegie Mellon for the School of Business. And we, we began to develop and to interpret the, the local culture. And for example, this idea of seating, they call it Mahilis. 
that they sit down in, the, in, in these couches in the floor and they can use the multi-purpose room here. Or we work with a Mexican artist to, to make all these patterns that are very much inspiring the Islamic culture, but interpreted in, in a modern way. Uh, they use a lot the, the universities at night, so it was important how, to, how the buildings needed to look at night. Also, they had to adapt very well to the climate. I mean, it's a very harsh climate, it's a, the desert, so, so, so it has to leave a lot to the inside. Uh, then we work with Georgetown University for the School of Foreign Affairs. And it was interesting also that Qatar is becoming a, a leader in foreign affairs in the Middle East, and it wanted to, to show a, a, a building and, and a university that, that showed that. Uh, they, they wanted to ask a, a common place and how to make an architecture that was modern, that in a way we're, we're, we were bringing some things of the Mexican elements, but also at the same time belong to Qatar. Uh, the student center for the university, we, we also did. It's, uh, it has become uh, very important in the universities to, to make uh, places where students can interact, to talk to each other. We were talking yesterday that that's really where creativity uh, is no longer for, for, for genius that uh, work alone. So it's important to create these places to meet. And that's the reason why I'm very excited of these kind of symposiums. That, that's the only way that we're going to bring better ideas and better uh, solutions. Uh, this is the central courtyard that we work with a Mexican artist called uh, Jan Hendrix also. And then even uh, to invest in culture, even uh, they are asking, we're just in the beginning, but they ask us for a museum in Cabo. And it's, it's a, you could, will never imagine to do a museum in Cabo. It's a, a beach resort, and you, you, you think of uh, to go into Cabo to the beach, etc. And now tourism is also asking for culture. And, and, and tourism, they, they want to have something more to do and, and, and to go to places that culture is important. So it's, uh, I, think, I think it's a great idea to do a museum. We are doing also some bungalows for artists that go to work there and probably sell their work and to have something more to offer than just beaches, which is what we have been concentrating in Mexico lately. Uh, we are working also on the crossing from the airport of Tijuana to Mexico. And, and it was a challenge here because we, we thought that it was the first image that someone could see of Mexico. Because the idea is that you can get in the U.S. side and then we're building a bridge and you cross to take a plane in, in Tijuana. So to make something Mexican, we're also working with Mexican artists and to be a showpiece where to show Mexico to, to, the, to the traveler. So one element I, I thought that was culture. The other one is environment. I think it's extremely important that we take care of environment in, in the architecture in the future. Uh, about 50% of the energy is consumed by buildings, the energy that is consumed in the world. So the, the way we design buildings, it's a great responsibility. And we have been able to do buildings. For example, this is a spec office building in Mexico, and it was on budget, but we were able to, to, to have a LEED gold certificate and be very uh, energy efficient. If, with the climate of Mexico City, uh, we're using air conditioning only about three or four months a year. The rest is just circulating air. Most of the materials are local. And, and, and it was, as, as I said before, on budget. Uh, for example, another example, we did the, an office building in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And also, we studied the traditional elements of architecture, like overhangs and stucco walls and natural light. 
but we were uh, able to include technology to store all these spaces and, and the, um, the size of the overhangs, the size of the, of the skylight, and to, be, to make a sustainable project. And we are under construction now of a large tower in Mexico City. We, in this one, we were associated with uh, Richard Rogers from, from England. And also the, the idea is in the, in the tower to incorporate these elements that, uh, that are in traditional architecture. So we are storing courtyards even in the upper levels, a, a grill that has uh, different densities in the, each of the orientations to have shade, also to, to be able to enjoy the view. So, so I think there's a lot to go in sustainable architecture. And then the, the other, I think, to, uh, element that to make a project uh, long term is, is to take a, a, the social aspect, the social economic aspect. This kind of image, this actually is in Brazil, but I mean, you can easily find a lot of images like this in Mexico where you have a high class condominium or a high class area and then next to a wall then you have a very poor area. And this is not any more sustainable. I mean, we, that's the reason we have the crime. That's the reason why we have all these problems in Mexico and we cannot keep building walls and build ghettos and, and live isolated. So it's really important that, that in the projects, if we want to, to look in the long term to take in consideration the social development. Uh, we had one example, we did the, the, the Monterrey Tech uh, development uh, university in Santa Fe. In one side, you have all the high class neighborhood of Mexico, the new area. In the other side, you have the very poor area. At the, uh, when we started the construction, we already uh, had a deadline that the, when they opened classes, they blocked the construction, all, all the poor area, and they said, you cannot enter here. So the tech realized that they had to include them. So they began to include them in the construction process. Then they include them in the management of the campus. Then they build a social center in the entrance of the university. And now the university is working and, 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 and they are living in peace, the, the, the two Area. So I think it's important that, that we really look at the two elements of Latin America. If not, we will never keep on growing. Uh, the architecture also, uh, Santiago was talking about the labor. And I think it's, we have a wonderful labor, at least in, in construction. But it's important on how to use it and not just to import materials from Germany or from uh, China now. It's important that we take advantage of that labor and do, and, and we have found that you, really can make more interesting architecture and more unique things if we take advantage of the labor in Mexico. Now it's important that we make it more efficient and probably we need to improve our middle levels, the supervisors, etc. But I think it's one of the advantages that we have. For example, one small but beautiful example is what Francisco Toledo, one of the leading artists in Mexico is doing in Oaxaca. For example, he did this workshop of the traditional cement tiles. And it's very low tech. I mean, it's very easy to do. He, he did some of these designs. Other artists did some of the, of, of the designs. And it's a beautiful floor. It's very cheap. And you have a, a wonderful floor or, or door material or finishes that you can really take advantage of the artist uh, talent that we have in Mexico and at the same time improve the, the workmanship. Uh, currently, we are starting to work with the Aga Khan Foundation in, in Africa for a university. And he has all this philosophy, uh, philosophy that has been uh, a learning, uh, an, an amazing learning for us. 
and how to do a project in, 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 in Tanzania where it's uh, much more poorer than Mexico, but to get involved in, in the project, all the society, for example, we're trying to develop a group of carpenters, a group of, of masonry, a group of, of steel workers, and to develop all these workshops as part of the construction of the university. So I think it's a, it's a type of project that there are many examples in Mexico that we can work on, and that that's what is going to be to, to make our growth uh, more sustainable. No? Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Victor. And next we have Francesco Piacessi, the founder and director of Echala a Tu Casa, a firm that provides sustainable community development through social housing production. He recently won the Social Entrepreneur of the Year Award at the Latin America World Economic Forum. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you very much for the University of Mexico moving forward in the name of all the homeless people around the world who is around 1.6 billion people. Thank you very much to Alberto. Thank you very much to Manuel for this very fantastic and magnificent opportunity to be in here uh, to express what we are doing in Mexico and in some parts in the world. Echela tu casa. We cannot translate it that very uh, literary, but it's something like put your heart into your home and the program is a housing impact investment. Uh, the, Beatles, the Beatles used to sing, it's been a hard day night and I've been working like a dog. Okay, now imagine after a hard working day, go to sleep on a 20, uh, 200 uh, feet square shack with another nine persons in a soil floor. That's reality in Mexico. And that's the reality in Mexico for uh, something like six million families. How much is the housing deficit in the world? It's 1.6 billion people has not a shelter. Uh, how can we imagine this? Imagine all the American continent and all Australia built out of carton board houses. Please picture that, and it's going to look something like this. That's Washington, D.C. In Mexico, we have uh, this deficit of 9 million homes, uh, from which 3 million are going to be served by the, by the traditional uh, institutions like Infonavit and the larger construction companies. And uh, these three million families in the oncoming years are, go are going to have credits, a technology, and everything to have a, a home, a patrimony, and a, an affordable home. But we have the other six million people. How, how does it look? Look like this. this there, there are 45 million people in Mexico that, that live in these conditions. They have no technology, no credit, and no hope, which is the worst. There has been some structural changes in Mexico in the public, uh, uh, public policies as well as in the, in the private sector to provide a solution for a sustainable house. It's a sustainable program. It's a sustainable house. Uh, Margarita has been telling you about the ecosystems that we use a lot of them. Uh, 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 we have also this social inclusion process that it's part of the, of the process, of the, of the solution. What are these stru uh, structural changes? One is the CONABI, the National Housing Committee. Until recently, CONABI, which is responsible for subsidies in Mexico, 
uh, has provided subsidy just to the to the the ones who has a collateral a company that has collateral to build the homes and have access to the subsidy and uh, now they open they switch they shift the this policy and now they open so another organizations NGOs and private organizations and institutions can have this subsidy and provide it to the poorest people in Mexico. Uh, that provides CONAVI a new aborting aspect of who to give the subsidy, subsidy to. Let's, let's, uh, let's take a close look at what is subsidy in Mexico. In Mexico, all, any worker that is in a payroll, as Santiago was saying in just a, a, an hour ago, which is in a payroll and it's, it's part of the, the formal economy, can go into Conavi, uh, sorry, into Infonavit and ask for its credit. What this means? This means if the richest man on earth has, is in a, in a payroll in Mexico, he can go into Infonavit and ask for his credit, even though his credit will be enough only to change the, the doorbell of his home but it's home improvement and he can use it. The second structural change was from the Federal Mortgage Trust. The Federal Mortgage Trust, as well as Conavi, provide the subsidy only for Infonavit, Infoviste, and the, uh, the, the, the governments of Mexico. The Federal Mortgage Trust only provided the line of credit to those companies that has a collateral to provide a guarantee to have a line of credit. They switched that. They changed for the first time uh, in, in 2010, for the first time, they put together this new, pro, uh, this new product, this new line of credit called uh, self-builders line of credit, guided self-business line of credit. And the first, the first experiment of this line of credit was in Calakmul, Campeche. Uh, we are going to see uh, something about uh, Calakmul a little later, but Calakmul is the second largest biosphere in the world. Uh, this is Calakmul Campeche. This is the, the conditions before the program in Calakmul Campeche, and these are the, the, what is happening there. That's, that's reality for all the people in Calakmul and the surrounding area. After the program, this is the new home. This is the new process. How they achieved this? Because they had the opportunity because the, the political government policies put in the, in the hands of the society the chance to have, as this uh, symposium called, a path, a path to prosperity. And this is the result. How they, di they did it, they produced the material, they get paid to produce the material, it's an ecological material, and they get paid to build the home. That's the difference be between a giveaway program and an impact investment program. This program changes the way of the, 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 the people thinks. The other uh, structural change is the National Co uh, uh, Council for Sustainable Home. This is uh, an NGO that a lot of private companies, institutions, organizations work with, and they, the goal is to provide technology for the underserved house population. And the technology goes from inside uh, on-site production systems, like the one we use and that Margarita also told about, and uh, to industrialize process that bring the home mostly done and put it into the, into the community. The fourth 
structural change is social impact franchising. Why is, why is this? Why we need this? Because the, the goal is to provide 6 million homes. There are not enough companies. There are not enough workers. There are not enough technology. And there is not enough money to do so. So through social impact franchising, what we do is the people that already work in the program, work in the process, they have these skills. In Calakmul, we provide uh, something like a 1,000 new jobs. From those, we have a team of 100 people that has these skills to continue with the program. And we provide the social impact franchises. We are behind them, and they are the ones who are ma making the new homes and the new home improvements in the region. And uh, social impact has four, four axles, four pillars. One is social inclusion, as Victor said. The other one is financial education. This is not a giveaway program. This is a development program. The other one is technical training, and the other one is replica through the same, the same community. Uh, this is social inclusion. Her name is Juvia. He lives in this house with, with her parents and another five brothers. Uh, that's Carril 2000 in Durango. It's in the middle of the desert. And there are around her 6,000 6, homes the same as the one we are looking at. Now, after the program, they work in the program, the mother, the father, the neighbors, everybody, the, some of the, of the youngsters work, and that's the new, the new impact investment. That's the new home of Yuvia. And uh, don't, look at the, don't, look, don't pay attention to the material part. Please, look at Yuvia. Okay? Look at the change. Look at her gaze. The, the social impact begins with the people, to ch changing the self-esteem with the people, and it's really amazing. And, uh, well, what's the next step? The uh, next step is to, uh, to have an impact investment advisory board. Why we need this? Because it's, it's, the work is too much. We need, we need to scale the program, not only in technology, but also in financial strategies. We need to put together all the way of thinking and how to provide housing for the, poorest, for the poorest people in our country. Please allow me now to invite you to Calakmul Campeche for a couple of minutes. We are going to see a video. And uh, there you will see how the programs really work. Esta que ves es la segunda biosfera más importante del mundo. Y además, el municipio con más marginación de Campeche. Aquí llueve, ringa, el agua se escurre en las tablas o entra abajo. El acceso es muy difícil. Por eso, realizar proyectos sociales es todo un reto. A pesar de esto, la comunidad, apoyada por el gobierno federal, estatal y organizaciones civiles, implementaron un programa de vivienda. 250 familias participaron, tomando los talleres de autoconstrucción dirigida, organizando comités e imaginando su casa. Y la casa que ellos soñaron, nosotros la convertimos en un proyecto técnico. Entonces le vamos a entregar la planta arquitectónica. ¿Cómo se ve? Mientras tanto, ellos participaron en talleres de educación financiera. Sí, como 
cuatro meses, tienen que estar ahorrando. Pues voy amenorando el gasto para poder ahorrar ese dinero, pues. Niños, mujeres y hombres pusieron su granito de arena. Algunos replicando la capacitación que recibieron. Otros trabajando de tiempo completo, por lo que recibieron un pago por su labor. Lo que yo entendí que este es el carro alimentador y este es la compresión de molde. Todo esto le dio vida al programa y sentido de propiedad a las familias. su perseverancia y compromiso, la comunidad logró generar 500 empleos directos, beneficiar a 1.500 integrantes de las familias, impactar a más de 2.000 personas, detener la tala inmoderada de árboles, disminuir la contaminación de los mantos freáticos y la contaminación del aire al cocinar, fomentar el ahorro y manejo del crédito a partir de la educación financiera. Esta convicción y empeño por tener su casa Contagió también a la Sociedad Hipotecaria Federal, quien por primera vez aceptó fondear los créditos de su vivienda. De hecho, así nació un nuevo producto, el crédito de la autoproducción. Esto nunca antes había sucedido, aunque la verdad, ver las sonrisas de los pequeños es lo más gratificante. Lo que juntos hicimos en Calakmul puede ser replicado por las comunidades en todo el mundo. Lo más relevante de este proyecto es su impacto en el futuro. La comunidad de Calakmul le demostró a las nuevas generaciones de niños y jóvenes que con entusiasmo, organización y participación pueden cambiar su destino, el de su comunidad y el del mundo. Thank you very much. Okay, we're getting some e-questions that are coming in already. Um, congratulations to all of you on all your projects. It's amazing work, what you're doing. Um, this first question comes from Claudia Basurto. She's on Twitter, and I believe this is uh, for Victor. She wants to know when your project uh, along the Otay-Tijuana border will be completed. <laughs> it was a tough question. No, well, the, the, the plans and the project is ready. Uh, we are finishing the last negotiations uh, to, to start it. But I, I hope it will be soon. I mean, probably it will take like a couple of years to, to build it, or a year and a half. We've been hearing about it for quite some time. So okay. <laughs> yes, yes, it took some time in the negotiations, it will, but, it, but it, it's going to happen. I believe yeah. it will change the face of the border, and just, um, I, I, I'm just I don't know for, for certain if you're aware of what we deal with trying to cross the border, going both ways. Um, four hours, sometimes, you know, shopping Sundays are come to a halt sometimes because of the transportation, and whether you're in line walking or driving, it's... Uh, 
not a good situation. Yeah, so, and, and what we see in this project that excites us is that it can become a symbol of, of, of the two countries living together. I mean, to share an airport and to really be able to do that, I think it's, it's unique in the world. So I think it's, uh, it, it's, it's going to be, it can be a symbol that we can really work together. One of the things you, know, you all talked about in some ways is how to scale up the, the operation. You know, how to either create a networked system that allows, or people who are trained in knowing how to do things. Well, maybe Legorreta más Legorreta doesn't want to have 100 Mexican architectural <laughs> firms offering their services out there. But, but the question I'm, I'm really asking is, um, so the scale-up models, I think, of each of you are very different. You know, uh, uh, there is the, the, the question of for-profit, you know, whether you do a company which is really going to try to, to, you know, make money as part of its sustainability versus doing concerts and getting philanthropic, you know, kind of aid to make it run. But then the other one is really the relationship with government. You know, when do governments kind of open up the spaces, either by building huge universities or, uh, or maybe many of them are private, actually, in your case, but, or by, um, you know, opening up regulatory spaces that allow you to really tap into public funds. So, so I want to understand more this scaling up and kind of financial viability. Uh, in, in, well, what, what, one, one thing is the, the government, the government issue. The government issue, uh, all governments in the world, I think, they, are, they work with the pressure of the international, the international uh, community uh, more than the, the, than the inner pressure. And uh, talking about housing, in Mexico, just uh, five years ago, the underserved house population, with now it's a term around the world, were only the self-builders. And who are they? Oh, no, no, there are the self-builders, and they take care of themselves. But you see how they take care of themselves, with the worst conditions. So the, the international knowledge about what's going on in the world uh, it's the pressure for the government to switch the, the, public, the pu public policies, as well as the financial, as the financial aspect. We have, uh, well, a couple of financial experts uh, worldwide recognized here. And the financial aspect, it's more open every day. The default of the, uh, of the, uh, of the housing payback in this, in this uh, new model, it's only 0.84%, something like that they are more efficient than the Swiss bank because they have been there for a century. They have lived there for a century in a, in a shack, but they, they are part of the community. Uh, what happened in the last earthquake in Guerrero and, and, and Oaxaca? People, the, the, uh, two, 6,000 houses crumbled down. So people put a tent and they live there because it's, it's part of their culture. They don't want to go to to a, a, a refugee camp or something like that. They want to be there until the new home is there and they are going to work for the new home. And that's the way to, to scale social inclusion, government, and, and finance, uh, and technical training. Well, we're out of time for our question and answer session. Um, we, it's, we're going to break for lunch. I would like to thank Margarita Barney, Victor Legoreta, and Francesco Piazzi. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.